Let us pray. O oh God, on this beautiful summer Sunday morning, we ask you to silence in us any voice but your own. And into that silence, speak your word, the word we need to hear today, the word of truth and the word of hope, the word of grace. For we pray in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen. Friends, our epistle lesson this morning comes from Paul's church to the letter at Ephesus beginning at the 25th verse of the 4th chapter, continuing through the 2nd verse of the 5th chapter. Let us hear God's word. So then, putting away falsehood, let all of us speak the truth to our neighbors, for we are members of one another. Be angry, but do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and do not make room for the devil. Thieves must give up stealing, rather let them labor and work honestly with their own hands, so as to have something to share with the needy. Let no evil talk come out of your mouths, but only what is useful for building up as there is need, so that your words may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with which you were marked with a seal for the day of redemption. Put away from you all bitterness and wrath and anger and wrangling and slander together with all malice. And be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and live in love as Christ loved us, and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I spent several days in Ohio this past week visiting my sister, my brother, their respective children, my lone uncle and aunt. It was hot and humid there, of course. August in Ohio is always something like soup. I had just missed the annual Ohio State Fair which was a favorite annual experience for us when we were kids. This year, the Ohio Dairy Barn, the best place on earth if you're an eight-year-old, having butter sculptures, yes, life-size sculptures made of butter of dignitaries like John Glenn and Neil Armstrong and Jack Nicholas, offered a statue of Ralphie. You know who Ralphie is? the main character from A Christmas Story, a film set in Cleveland, of course, making it an Ohio icon. So I didn't get to see Ralphie or the Ohio State Fair, but even post-butter sculpture, there was excitement plenty to be experienced in the state of Ohio. This past Tuesday, 
A hotly contested congressional election was held with millions and millions of dollars spent. Both my siblings cast votes in that election, TV screens blanketed with advertisements. And even now on Sunday morning, some days after this election, the result is still too close to call. But this past week, that congressional race was always, at best, the second most reported story in Columbus. I'm, I'm sure you've heard about it, even if you're not a sports fan. This controversy raging at Ohio State and its football team. It is another in a series of Me Too moments. And the attending issues of domestic violence and power and money and accountability and so much more. So I thought even in the midst of a lovely family visit, the news of the world, the challenging issues of life in 2018 were all around us, permeating life itself as they do, as they should. We retreat to re-engage, we step back in order to step forward with greater commitment to our faith and to our life. Now I found fuel for that commitment, kind of a clear juxtaposition of the news of the day in a very unlikely place. I visited my sister's school on the day before election day to help her set up her classroom. And when we walked in the main office after we were checked in, these words were painted on the front wall. I am a smart, special, valuable person. I respect myself and I respect others. My words and actions are kind and honest. I accept only the best in all I do. I am proud to be me. What would it look like, I wondered then, if we took that seriously, in particular the middle section, I respect myself and I respect others. My words and actions are kind and honest. A moral ethical framework, not just for students at an elementary school in Dublin, Ohio, but for all students, all ages, all adults, for all leaders, political and religious and business, as we together seek to navigate the choppy waters of this present moment. Respect kindness, honesty, more than quaint platitudes painted on a school wall, but real, honest, true calls to action that would make a difference in the world in which we live now. And I wondered further, what would it look like for us to have similar words greeting us when we walked into other buildings? other schools, churches, state houses, and city halls, places of business. And what would it look like for us to do the same? Words that we looked at every day, prayed over, 
sought to take seriously and enact in our lives. The Bible that's in front of us, from which we just read a Psalter reading, has a long history of development. The, the original Hebrew and Greek had no chapter or verse that ends up being later, thankfully so. Then at some point in the past century or so, editors added those little section headings that you find, and mostly I don't like them. I don't like anyone else to tell me what I'm about to read. I like to figure that out by myself. But in thinking about all of this some weeks ago, I noticed the heading for this morning's epistle reading from Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus. Maybe you did too. Rules for the new life. Rules for the new life. Well, it's not a perfect heading. I thought rules is such a loaded word, but I can live with it especially as it points to a new life. It's helpful to remember that Paul is writing to a newly formed church. The church in Ephesus was probably no larger than this gathering here today, a, a small, diverse, fledgling collection of followers of Jesus. Paul was seeking to provide clarity around belief, and encouragement to community life and unity in the face of so much diversity. And Paul's theme in Ephesians is giving up the old in order to embrace the new. Do not hold on to the old life, the old ways, but live in the new life that you have discovered in Jesus. People want to know what does that look like? And Paul responds, and there are some clear communal behavioral guidelines. These are kind of easy. No lying, no stealing, no bad-mouthing. Words matter. They can tear somebody down or they can build somebody up. And then he pivots to a vision. Words that could find a good place on many a school wall or many a church meeting room or a business or a family refrigerator or a smartphone screenshot. Put away from you all bitterness and wrath and anger and wrangling and slander together with all malice and be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God and Christ has forgiven you. So a list of things to shed, bitterness and wrath and anger and slander and malice, and a shorter list, a more important list of things to take up, kindness, tenderheartedness, forgiveness. Rules or guidelines for a new life all made possible because of the claims of Jesus on our lives and the compelling alternative vision he offers for living in the world, made incarnate in his own life and then made tangible and real in the life of community after community after community, whether 25 years after he died or 2,000 years.
Stan Mask writes that we sometimes say you can learn a lot about a person's character from what she does we know what is looking. Paul would say that we can learn a lot about God's character by studying Jesus. And with the help of the Holy Spirit, God's sons and daughters constantly look for ways to deliberately do things like sharing with those in need, by building each other up by what we say, as we pray to God to let the Spirit create in us kindness and compassion and forgiveness. Mark Tramick writes that instead of simply being exhorted to do good works, the community is continually reminded that it has been engrafted into the body of Christ and that its hope is grounded in Christ's present and future redemption. The result is a life lived in love, rooted and grounded in the love of Christ. This is love which reaches out and extends itself to the most unlovable, because we inherit the status, Cranbick says, of beloved children. Our task then is to take this love to our neighbor. And then Ronald Wilson writes this, the community of reconciliation is to be and will be a neighborhood where the old is put off and the new put on, out with bitterness, anger, shouting, cursing, and any kind of malice. Instead, goodness, warm-heartedness, and forgiveness, with Christ as this example, are to be in evidence. All those things we are counseled to guard against, lying, the indulgence of anger, stealing, foul talk, grieving the Holy Spirit, giving opportunity to the devil, are counterweighted with concern for beneficial effects on the rest of the community. Olson says, sharing with those in need, saying the right thing, and honest work gives clues as to the ways in which God, Christ, and the Holy Spirit are experienced in faith's community. This past spring, I was privileged to hear Jonathan Walton, who is the chapel at the Harvard Memorial Church, and he teaches at Harvard Divinity School. Walton sought to calibrate for us this ethical and moral conversation. In a question and answer, session, he was asked, how do we live our faith in the world? His response was that each of us, each of us must define a moral framework for ourselves, a moral framework. That moral framework will help clarify decisions and guide actions and weigh options, a moral framework. Now for Jonathan Walton, he's defined his own moral framework. It is the least of these. The least of these. Paying attention to how the most vulnerable, whether they're in the room at the time or not, are treated. The least of these. For a school in Central Ohio, the moral framework is respect and kindness and honesty for self and for others. For J.K. Rowling, speaking in the voice of Dumbledore, it is always about love. For Martin Luther King Jr., it was the arc of justice. For Dietrich Bonhoeffer, it was the world we leave to our children. 
with Florence Nightingale and Albert Schweitzer and Jane Addams depicted so beautifully and I think prophetically in our stained glass, the moral framework was compassion. What's your moral framework? What words and values have you articulated and embraced around which you will seek to organize your life, to make decisions, to take action? What words are inscribed on the walls of your life and your heart, and how are you, and how are we, living even imperfectly into the vision of those words? For Paul, in words that we lift up as holy that lead us to sacred action, the moral framework is clear and countercultural then and now. Kindness, tenderheartedness, forgiveness. We think about the world, do we not? We look around. We look around and we think in a post-Charlottesville, me-too world and say those words simply cannot be. And then we lean upon this, this moral framework and those who have gone before us in faith, and we lean upon the Holy Spirit, and we're encouraged to live as if we can make a difference. Therefore, Paul tells us, and we affirm, be imitators of God as beloved children and live in love. Live in love as Christ loved us. Love as rule for a new life and love as moral framework. Our clear calling and our best hope. Amen.